This week, Matt Cawthorn, VP of Cloud Security at ExtraHop, will be on to talk about the cyber hat trick, how ransomware gangs exfiltrate, encrypt, and exploit. Then David Finger, VP of Product Marketing at Fortinet, will talk about the state of cybersecurity ops in a ransomware-filled hybrid work world. Finally, in the enterprise news, Armus identifies nine vulnerabilities in pneumatic tubes. Corelight introduces smart PCAPs. That's smart PCAPs. SolarWinds disputes a lawsuit. Code 42 and Rapid7 partner up. And more from this week at Black Hat 2021. Stay tuned for all that and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. Wide-scale adoption of cloud applications, an increase in remote workers, and expansion of branch offices has rendered the centralized on-premises security model impractical. Enter Cisco Umbrella. Umbrella now includes secure web gateway, firewall, and cloud access security broker functionality, plus integration with Cisco SD-WAN, all delivered from a single cloud security service. It helps businesses of all sizes secure their network and extend protection to roaming users and branch offices. Security doesn't have to be complicated. Get simple, smart, and powerful security with Cisco Umbrella. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Cisco Umbrella to learn more. Cyber criminals are using social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on victims, your employees, or your customers. Protect your Office 365 email from today's most sophisticated attacks with Barracuda Email Threat Scanner. It's a free tool to help protect your business from these hard-to-detect attacks. The Barracuda Email Threat Scanner uses artificial intelligence to hunt and eliminate Office 365 email threats. Find the cybersecurity threats hiding in your Office 365 email right now. Get your free email threat scan at securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. Welcome everyone to episode 237 of Enterprise Security Weekly for August 4th, 2021. The mantra for the show is the show must go on. Even though I'm on the verge of losing my voice, I am here. I'm of course Paul Sidorian, joined remotely by Mr. Adrian Sanabria. Adrian, welcome. Hey Paul, uh, welcome to the most subdued virtual hacker summer camp ever. I can't. If I get too excited, I, I feel like I'm going to lose my voice, Adrian. So I'm relying on you <laughs> and the lovely April Wright to bring some more excitement to the show. April, welcome. It's nice to have you on Enterprise Security Weekly. Thank you. It's really great to be back. Yes, I love it. It's going to be a great show. I'm excited. Uh, Security Weekly Unlocked will be held in person this December 5th through the 8th at the Hilton Lake Buena Vista. We're excited to announce our first round of speakers, which includes Dave Kennedy, Alyssa Miller, O'Shea Bowens, Marina Chiavada, Marina Chiavada, Patrick Coble, Chris Eng, Eric Escobar, Kevin Johnson, and Justin Kohler. You can visit securityweekly.com forward slash unlocked to register, check out the Rockstar lineup, and stay tuned for more announcements. We've got some very special things planned that I've not, I don't think yet shared with April or Adrian, unless it has spread via other means, which probably means it has, but it's good, good news, good news on, on Unlocked. So we're excited about that. This segment is sponsored by Extra Hop. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash Extra Hop. Matt Carthorn is responsible for all security implementations at Extra Hop and leads a team of technical security engineers who work directly with customers and prospects. He joins us today to discuss the cyber hat trick, how ransomware gang- gangs exfiltrate, encrypt, and exploit. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be back. Great to see everybody. Yeah, Matt, it's nice to have you. I'm, I'm actually really excited. I mean, I think we really could have called this the future of ransomware, which is kind of funny because I was just giving Adrian some crap about using the future of in titles. <laughs> but I really enjoyed our discussion, Matt, where we talked about like the future of, of ransomware. And, and you called it the, which I like, is like the hat trick, right? Where exfiltrate, encrypt, and exploit. Yeah. And what I, what I love about this topic in particular, as I, you know, we saw ransomware like explode. I'm like, this is really attackers going after the operational aspects of your business. Not so much the data. I mean, they do care about the data, but it's more about 
the preventing you from doing anything with your data and then using that to extort money from you. And I'm like, that could take ransomware is just like one thing they could do. Really, they could do a lot of things, um, you know, with this. So Matt, I'll turn it over to you to kind of build upon that. Well, yeah, I mean, so we've been in the era of, of ownership as opposed to from an adversary perspective, the adversaries, you know, goals of ownership and treating the organization, the data, the systems, the services, and sometimes even the, the, the people as assets, mm-hmm. you know, and those assets are very, very valuable to them. And so the incentive structures are very broad and very, very deep for this uh, really, really pervasive and persistent threat. And because of the incentives and how this sort of spirit of ownership is really gone far and wide. And in fact, we've got even now an entire SaaS tier dedicated to ransomware as a service, you know, the barriers to entry for a ransomware attacker are lower and the barriers to um, the sort of barriers that are thrown up on the enterprise side, ostensibly at least aren't particularly high, at least in many cases. And so it really, really is a, a pervasive problem. And in many situations, in fact, in the last six or eight months alone, we've seen in multiple organizations in my team, um, to your point, Paul, exactly, not just ransomware, right, as a discrete thing, but there's multiple vectors. And in fact, even we've seen multiple actors show up after the initial compromise and after the initial sort of sense of ownership, we've seen much more activity by other actors who've sort of entered and set up shop. And so um, it's a very, very nasty problem. And the this idea of the hat trick where they're going to extort via whatever means necessary because mm. it's profitable to do so. The incentive structure mandates it. I also think, Matt, that I think about it as you talk is, um, is the, what's changed in the past 20, 30 years to make this a more popular style of attack, right? I think it's more of our data being online, more systems being critical to the operations of the business. I mean, certainly if we go back to the telephone system, they could have done this as well, but I I don't know. I feel like the attribution would have been easier because there were less attackers back then, right? You also could like restore from backup tapes, like less of your data in systems were uh, so dynamic, like you had a system and you backed it up regularly. Like there's been a series of changes in technology and security that kind of led up to this point that we're at now. Yeah, it, on the backup front, it's it's kind of interesting because there are I've read a bunch of different articles about all of the crazy ransomware activity lately, obviously, mm. and s- several people are attributing the sort of readiness on the backup and recovery front, where people are like, "Nope, we're not going to pay the ransom. We've got backups." Well, now you're going to get double extorted because the way around that is okay go ahead and recover but we've now got your data we've exfiltrated it and mm-hmm. if you don't pay up we're going to we're going to share it with the world and so i think it really is like a game of whack-a-mole at this point because there right. are many many different in fact I've, i heard a report of triple extortion via ddos so if you don't like the first two options well then we're just going to dos you until you decide to acquiesce yep. and so paul you're exactly right it's the sort of spirit of just legitimate business disruption now mm. and 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 pervasive inconvenience if not disruption with real real implications for everyone involved adrian yeah yeah I, I mean um you know you guys have been you know i think you said um building on it you know is, is what i want to latch on to here and, and exfiltrate encrypt uh, exploit um you know these three terms we've had here you know and and from just uh, ransom to double ransom to triple ransom. Like there, there's a trend we're seeing here. They they just keep uh, building and improving as they go. Like at, at first it was opportunistic. It would just encrypt. You know. Then they you know the exploit comes in where it becomes more of a uh, a whole organization compromise. You know, and uh, so they could ensure that they could encrypt as many systems within one organization at once, and instead of ransoming the one owner of that one system, it would be the whole organization and they can jump up to, you know, five, six, seven digit uh, uh, asking prices and, and then exfiltrate. You know, they realized, okay, people with good backups, how do we solve that? We either take out the backups, which happens sometimes, uh, or, or we copy the data off and we do that. And another version of the triple ransom I've heard is they 
uh, if they compromise uh, patient sensitive patient or customer data, uh, then they go after the customers of that company. Brutal. Yeah, it, it, but it's interesting. You can do this without even really caring about the data. If, as an attacker, this is me with my my Mike Poor. I think it was Mike Poor that came up with the, my evil hat. I put my evil yeah. hat on, right? And it, you can have your data. You can you know you can have backups of it. You can have the ability to restore it, which are two different things, as we well know. But I'm going to control the facilities by which you can actually use your data, right? So I'm going to cut you off from the cloud service. I'm going to cut you off from your SaaS service. I'm going to cut off your accounts. Like I'm going to try and control every way you can actually use your data is, is another really interesting kind of, I don't give people ideas either, which well, I, feel I like mean, I that's did, already but, happened though. I, yeah. I mean, you know, talking about historically, you know, absolutely. Extortion is not new. We, we saw it happen mm. in the nineties. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw it happen over phone lines where, you know, the bad guy gets in, just changes a password, you know, but uh, obviously now it's scaled up, you know, to an extent, uh, you know, much more than we've ever seen before, you know, instead of, you know, the, the odd extortion case once or twice a year, you know, mm. now it's, it's just, it's at crazy levels. You know, the, Paul, the, the disruptive aspect alone, you know, I, I have the dubious distinction of being in, on one of the living in one of the target cities that was uh, horribly ransomed back in the 2018 era, if I recall where, correctly. Where do you live, Matt? Atlanta. I live mm. in the Atlanta okay. area. Uh, and I'm in Knoxville. Were, we got hit too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What what's that? I'm in Knoxville. We got hit too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a, welcome to the club, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and so for us at least, it was an incredibly, incredibly disruptive multi-day period. I can't even remember how long it lasted. It was over a week, and I think that we spent, according to an article that I read, you know, two point six million to recover from a fifty-two thousand dollar ransom. And and so this was a. It's as and, and my numbers might be perfect, might not be perfect there, but the, the idea stands where just the recovery and the, the sort of disruption of it alone, the court systems, everybody, everyone who relied on that tapestry of infrastructure was down and was suffering and really unable to do anything at all for many, many days. And so the the, the sort of externalities, these these sort of secondary costs and these impacts are are really, really hard to grapple with. And more and more, if you look, if you're, you know, and you guys are just embedded in this day by day, week by week. And so, you know, this as well as I do, but I think the most of the top vectors for attack last year had been patched for like nine months, at least sometimes more. And so we've got this core rigidity and this technical debt that we've built up over time in the enterprise in particular. And we're not as agile operationally as that as we could be or probably should be. And so the, there are these really big, seemingly intractable problems that I believe are going to have to force a bunch of change, both mm -hmm. operationally and, and technically. Now, what that change looks like is an interesting discussion to have with, with folks like you, but I, I really, really do think that it's going to have to change the way we do things fundamentally, because I just don't see it going away, frankly. April, I, th I think I want to uh, go to you also to... Matt mentioned technical debt, and I know when we think about software and the software life cycle that plays into it is, you know, reducing your technical debt. One of the ways we can combat ransomware to come down to that? That's a good question. Um, I mean, technical debt, reducing technical debt in general, yes. Um, as part of SDLC, um, sure. I mean, uh, if if we can make it so that ransom can't proliferate within an environment via code um, that's based in the software that is being exploited, for example, and contains certain things. Sure, you could um, you could build in all kinds of different programmatic ways to try to combat it. And, th and then that leaves it with people's passwords, right? <laughs> Exactly. You patch the software. I mean, the attacker. I mean, it's often backwards. I think attackers are looking for that, you know, authentication weaknesses to kind of put a blanket over it first before they start going. Okay, let's see what they haven't patched. Yeah, I mean, in, 
and so so april to the sdlc question is a really interesting one i think for this particular class of attack at least you know it's not clear to me what what there is to really do because a lot of these vectors paul to your point it's like you know i know that this operating system is going to cache administrative credentials in memory and leave them there and so now if someone gets fished they click the wrong thing i can look up in memory grab you know a lot of the management software and monitoring software agents out there require elevated privileges and they're actively authenticating with elevated privileges and now things like you know mimikatz has made this technique super super famous where you're just harvesting these credentials from memory and now you're in with admin in many cases and man it's like i don't know if there's an sdlc approach to that particular problem there's a lot of sdlc fixes for a lot of other ones for sure but man i feel like they're just targeting the the core operating systems involved and the way these legacy authentication schemes and i use that term deliberately these legacy authentication schemes do their thing and the way these operating systems work with network attached shares and things like that and bam they're just latching onto it and it's this hot spot of value and risk in the environment and it's a hot spot of data clearly and they got you and it's over at that point so that's a really tricky one it's a really really tricky problem that needs a a multi-pronged approach in my opinion and there's another aspect to that as well which is um, actually protecting the systems that you're doing development on and you're doing yes. your sdlc activities you're you're doing your your uh, pipeline you know, protecting those actual systems from ransomware as well so that you can keep um, iterating and things like that because if there was let's say a vulnerability and you weren't able to patch it because your SCLC um, repository was down due to ransomware, that could be a, a whole other set of problems, right? Yeah, that's well, that's an interesting compounding attack. If you got your evil hat on, <laughs> except it's pink with, with ears, which I think is awesome. Yeah, you're getting creative, yeah. Right? Like in let's take SolarWinds as an example. You know, what if yeah. they were trying to push a fix out for that supply chain issue that they had, but they were in term ransomware? A right. for the day on your evil hat, April. <laughs> I love it. Well, so, yeah, I mean, so you I, just you struck more I, fear in my heart, April, there, because when I, I cited an earlier example of m like multiple actors that we've seen active in an environment after an initial compromise, you know, it's just like the party starts and they're all at the rave at that point, in certain cases at least. And the 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 more people that are doing things in your environment the more aggregate risk there are and like those development servers are definitely a target rich environment for sure for sure and one of the things that we talk about a lot with attacks is um distractions and we talk about mm. how a ddos might be a distraction for a more subtle attack uh, apt type of attack that's where they're trying to get in and everybody's watching the, the ddos or everybody's watching this other incident um i mean that could certainly uh, be the case with ransomware as well I mean, when I put on my evil hat, you know, I feel like we've only scratched the surface in terms of what an attacker could do. I mean, once they have access to your whole environment, you know, typically we think about the the C and the A of the CIA, you know, confidentiality and integrity or, or availability, you know, take something down, you know, take away somebody's access to it by encrypting it, you know, but there's much more subtle things you could do you know you could um i mean we've already seen people like they figure out what the the backup rollover is you know and and they you know they just wait that out uh why not if you haven't been detected you know you right. you've got the the luxury of time uh you know but what if i would just want to make you look like the next enron you know just mess with your accounting data in such a way that you wouldn't be able to recover it without the attacker's help you know, I, I think there's tons of things uh, that they could do. You know, so, so that really worries me as we get better from defending against uh, symptoms of these attacks. You know, I worry that the attack is just going to, it's going to be a game of leapfrog. It's going to keep changing and, uh, you know, we're, we're just hopping to defend against the next thing instead of stopping them from occurring in the first place. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> It seems it really seems like we're on a bit of a hamster wheel, frankly, uh, on the defense side. And you know, it's, it's one a, thing it's you a can chess defend, game, right? 
It totally, yeah. We just responded to one very recently, and it was it was a, it was a successful outcome. But you know, they had still encrypted twenty thousand files out, out of millions, but still there were twenty thousand files that had been encrypted, and at least a little bit of data was attempted for exfiltration. So fortunately, we were able to catch it and intervene very very quickly and compartmentalize the incident and respond efficiently. But you know, your point stands. It's just it. it Everyone's heard about it's a very sort of well-trodden term, the asymmetrical battle, but it's feeling particularly asymmetrical because I think that, you know, especially now it's feeling like some of the more advanced stuff, and it's not even all that advanced in many cases, it's just so democratized and there's just so much surface area out there and so many tools at the attacker's disposal to level against whoever. Um, It's a real, it's a real challenge. There was uh, an interesting article we covered last week on Paul Security Weekly. When we think about ransomware and the evolving threat landscape, well, that, that sounds kind of corny, but you know the, the way that we design and implement our system so that people can check email and uh, you know share documents, use Office 365. Microsoft, of course, has come out with uh, kind of late to the party, kind of a Chrome OS, Google Cloud kind of equivalent. What do they call that? Office 365 Cloud. Windows 365. Windows 365. Yeah, win- Thank you, April. Um, and so w- the article we covered last week kind of talked about like what if uh, ransomware really didn't have to care about the person's laptop. That it was really just their Chrome OS styled device that allowed them access to the cloud how does an attacker extort a company and attack their cloud presence? How do they do that? Is, is that more defensible, less defensible? How does, how does that work? I'm curious to hear from, from you folks on how does that work if it starts to go into the cloud? They go after somebody that's not there. That's easier. <laughs> or, I mean, I think but that's my, the but my thing. Answer. When I put my evil hat on, uh, Adrian, I think about, I'm going to go find, as an attacker, I've got an organization, they've got 100,000 you know, people connected to the cloud. There has to be an, an administrator sure. or two or three or a dozen that has access to everything. I want that sure. account. Once I get that account, I'm going to lock everyone else out. I'm going to change everyone else's password. I'm going to lock you out, and I'm going to use that as an extortion. I'm going to go encrypt files in the cloud because I can yeah. because I'm the administrator. I mean... I mean, what we've seen is is they have a playbook, and they'll play out that playbook as long as it's returning mm-hmm. uh, on the the investment that they put into it, you know. And as soon as that investment starts starts going down, we we've seen evidence of them having R and D budget. So they'll have somebody off in a corner just trying to figure out that problem you just posed, Paul. And right. then, okay, where do we need to attack that we can make this happen? And, and that'll be their their twenty twenty two playbook, maybe. Yeah, because the playbook today maybe even yesterday, could be I get one workstation with user-level privileges. I work my way around in the domain, and then I start encrypting people's workstations and files because I can escalate privileges within the domain. What if you know your domain's kind of all in the cloud, and, well, this is utopia, we've done role-based access control correctly. Like in Azure AD, Paul Asadronian only has access to like so much. So you could take over my account, ransomware, everything that, you know, encrypt, delete, change my uh, credentials and my second factor and lock my account out. But that's only going to get you like a small piece of the pie, right? And, and I'm wondering if that's a, a temporary measure before attackers figure out how do I escalate from Paul to the domain admins in Azure AD in the cloud to encrypt everything, right? Is, is there a benefit to that today? Or is it just a matter of time before the attackers figure it out? Well, I think um, I think that you're hitting on something. I think we touched on a little bit of this last time we talked, Paul, right? Hmm. Actually, we're, I do think that we're going to start to see more sort of decentralized access patterns like that for, for a bunch of reasons, right? You know, 2020 is one. Mm-hmm. And ransomware is another where you were, it's very, very likely and the Windows or the Microsoft initiative sort of validates this approach where you've got this sort of ephemeral user experience that can just de- de- destroy and redeploy on mm-hmm. demand. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and then you've got this sort of distributed access model with 
hopefully distributed and well-contained and partitioned um, data access patterns and service access patterns that would and could compartmentalize some of the scope. It could change the scope of these attacks in, in pretty dramatic ways, potentially. Now, the, the the question that you raise is a valid one. Like from an admin perspective, you know, now that you're in the cloud, there's the sort of um, there's the sort of management tier that's striping over the top of this, right? And just the the cloud management plane itself is subject to all sorts of risk and mm-hmm. and and attacks. Very different, but uh, at least as catastrophic. Maybe maybe more. Maybe much more. So you know, it, it solves one set of problems and introduces others. The thing I like about cloud, I'm a very cloud centric guy, mm-hmm. is I love, love, love drafting off of folks like Microsoft and Amazon and Google with their best practices from a security perspective, their controls, their best practices, their reference architectures. I like all of that because now we're tapping into a collective. It's not like they've developed these things in isolation. They've developed them against the backdrop of the commons, like this customer base. That have solved these problems and so you really are tapping into a collective coverage and sort of operational model that that helps you in my opinion in pretty material ways and they're truly their own customers with those products too you know i I don't know if it's still true but you know microsoft with xbox i think is the largest azure customer you know and they occasionally get hit you know with attacks too so i mean they're they're you know, they're not just seeing what's happening to their customers and, and iterating off of that and innovating off of that. You know, it's like Beyond Core came from the Aurora attack, right? Like that that was the what really kicked off that idea of, hey, we need a, a new architecture here, a new way of building this so that we, we don't fall so so completely and so heavily, you know, with this kind of monolithic approach to a corporate network. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, now there's a bigger sort of existential question that since we're kind of going afield here is how how comfortable are we collectively to have the vast, such a, it's already a majority of internet traffic, at least in North America, probably globally, that's moving through just AWS, you know? And so, and again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of AWS. I'm a user and a beneficiary of it, but now we've got this sort of Again, we're sort of consolidating to these hotspots of control. And now you've got this sort of meta problem back in my customer days. I was very nervous about using this one particular CDN because they have been under pretty consistent attack um, for in various denial of service ways. And I felt like it exposed me a little bit, even though they had good controls for that stuff, but it did expose the organization to outages. They could be attacking some adjacent company that happened to be on my point of presence for the CDN and would impact us negatively. And so now you have to wonder about big picture things like attacks leveled against Azure, AWS, or GCP. And if they're effective, that's a big if, and it's a hard, hard one, but if they're effective, they could impact massive amounts of customers in a consolidated way. Now you're talking about the ultimate extortion tactic of all. From a, Defensive perspective, though, Matt, I like what you're saying about detecting when a user account is basically like their data is being accessed in ways that aren't normal. And we think about extortion, right? If you're trying to take over an account or access and or change or encrypt or delete data, that is happening in a very prescriptive way that I think, especially once it's all consolidated in the cloud, that should, for lack of a better term, stick out like a sore thumb. If you see Paul Sadorian's account and all of a sudden, even if all of my files are being accessed sequentially, right? Like either I'm running some kind of tool that's syncing my data to something else or something anomalous is going on, right? Like there are there better ways in the cloud to be able to detect this where if it's happening in my local system, I have to rely on some kind of endpoint agent or something like that, right? Well, so all the cloud providers have really robust security, A, controls, B, best practices, reference architectures. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the things I like about um, cloud in general is that just at deploy time alone, it really forces you to think about security and sort of deliberately opt out of like even a security group in a VPC, say, you Mm -hmm. know, and so like it just forces you to think at a much, much lower level. And then all of them, you know, so... Azure and AWS, I'm, I'm more familiar with them, and uh, they have very capable 
detection, like the very, very capable detection technology, including machine learning. And then a solution like ours gets to the sort of passive, passive behavioral evidence of wire data, whether it's in the cloud or, or not, even with containers and stuff. And so, yeah, like now, just by virtue of moving to the cloud, your sort of tooling stack and your coverage stack and the ability um, of, of, of like an event-driven security model with automated remediation, all of those use cases are unlocked in a really sort of broad brush kind of way. It's very, very compelling. I, I believe that cloud is an inevitability. And when people go there, we all benefit, frankly. Mm. But doesn't wipe out the risk of back to our original framing of this discussion of the extortion and exploitation that attackers will do, right? It doesn't, it doesn't wipe out the risk, but I I'm wondering sort of on the fly here, if it changes the incentives, because uh, at least in some cases you're going to, in some cases you have a lift and shift crowd and they're just going to get what they have in the data center and push it up to the cloud. And you've just shifted the exact same sort of, threat model up into the cloud, right? Well, the other the other side of that is you have you have a, a more distributed, more ephemeral, more stateless, potentially at least, access set of access patterns. And you have file level, object level permissions that are easier to manage and are now centralized. And you've got a unified management plane that can act on anomalies that are anomalies that are generated by something like Reveal X, our solution, or an endpoint solution, or the cloud native capabilities itself. And that federated management plane can take action very, very sort of proactively in, auto in an automated way, which is one of the reasons why I'm such an advocate for cloud. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that it, it would solve a very broad set of problems and introduce others for sure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you do follow that playbook, uh, you know, again, working off examples, um, you know, if, it, if it's tough to make the extortion thing work, which, which we've seen in the early days, code spaces, uh, that, that's how that company got taken out is a, a small company. And uh, they just had, you know, the singular, you know, the thing you're not supposed to do, the single root AWS account that had access to everything. Remember that. And uh, yeah, change the credentials and uh, they, they wouldn't pay the ransom and they just wiped like 80% of the data out. And a lot of it was hosted customer data. I forget what their their product did, but it was a SaaS customer facing uh, product. Um, but then, you know, I don't know if it's lack of imagination or if it's just the easiest, quickest way to get paid. But usually, when somebody gets into somebody's cloud infrastructure, what I see over and over, it, they just mine Monero. They just set up Monero miners. Mm -hmm. It just it just seems so, uh, you know, I I don't unimaginative. You know, but uh, at the same time, you think, well, you know, if I want as few steps as possible between me getting paid and to get paid as quick as possible, I guess that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially if you've got the right level of access, you could you could make a pretty penny in crypto. Yeah, it's it's uh, and it's a better it's a better outcome than rant than extortion, you know, for, for the victim. It's in, less in visible. What I. I like this pivot into into this area, right? Because extortion is very visible. You have to yep. essentially, like, you gotta interact. Yeah, there's with the no hiding it. There's no hiding it. But if I can uh, gain access to the compute resources on a stealthy basis, all I have to do is really obscure the the bill. If I could, okay, I'm speaking with my evil hat on, right? If I would compromise your cloud infrastructure. Uh, I would want to mine stuff and then I would want to somehow hide the billing. That would be interesting. I'm not sure I've well, ever well, seen an attack that would hide the, how do you hide the billing? I, I don't, I don't know if you can without changing access rights, which would also be noticed, but that, that is the principal way that a lot of people notice right. uh, that they're, they're, you know, somebody's in their, uh, I think, I think April would just social engineer herself as, as an employee and go, oh, I'm a developer here. I need all these resources, right? That's one attack, April. Well, I was just thinking about how everybody was uh, saying that uh, back several months ago when um, when they took over uh, uh, the Twitter account. Or mm -hmm. the, I guess it was the Twitter admin panel, right? So they yeah. took over the Twitter admin they could have done so much more damage so much yeah. than they did. And they could have stayed in there for much longer. And they just went 
for whatever, like the two million or whatever they ended up with. Yeah, it was. I don't even remember what the I final. Agree. Yeah, I, but they could if they were a motivated attack, state actor or an APT or you know even just um, one of these ransomware outfits, they could have easily done a lot more damage. Yeah, I but I like where you're going, April, because if it, you translate this to AWS, you do the the attack we all see in the movies where the security video feed is showing a normal feed, right? <laughs> but they've hijacked it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when they're breaking into the facility, the you put in the loop, the, the security guards are not <clears throat> seeing that attack, right? They're put it on a loop. I do the same thing with your AWS billing console. Like, Ooh. here's the bill I want you to see, but mm. in the background, that's that's what I'm I'm hiding. Is like, that if, it, if you find that they're not looking at the billing directly, maybe mm -hmm. they're using a third party product to show them the billing, or they wrote an app, you know, to show them a billing the billing in a certain way, and you, yeah, all you have to do is change some of the coding behind that app, and you know, how how long do you think it would? Uh, I think, I but mean, I, th I think what we have going for us here though is uh, Amazon's got to have some pretty well-defined security ninjas assigned to this billing problem, right? <laughs> so so I, I think this is just like um, the water treatment plant mm -hmm. uh, hack, you know, wherein like, like we, we think too narrowly, I think sometimes. Uh, and, and if you think about how accounting works, um, you know, that money's still going to be coming out of a bank account somewhere and somewhere. an accountant should, should be, you know, looking at both sides of that ledger. Well, you know, AWS billing says this, but this <laughs> this amount just came. You know, Amazon just took this out of our account, mm -hmm. just charged this to a corporate credit card, and those don't match up. So you're still going to find it. And like with the water treatment plant thing, uh, yeah, they released the chemicals, but they had sensors downstream, right, for exactly that kind of uh, situation. Because maybe somebody's carrying a bucket of chemicals, or you know, a front loader full of chemicals, and and trips or falls, and it the whole thing lands in there. So, I mean, you've got those downstream controls that often, like if, if we don't know the, you know, the, the full process, um, you know, we, we miss that. And on the other side of that, if you look at BEC, that's really business email compromise. Mm -hmm. That's really highlighted where those processes aren't so robust. Right. When with a single no email, you, you, yeah. You really can get forty million dollars redirected to a different bank bank account with a single email. If I were if I were to go after mining, I would supply chain it, and I would supply chain it because the the billing the way to evade any of those billing permutations is to embed yourself high enough in the in the in the development pipeline. To, Ooh, like I with like a, a node library or Python library, especially if you target something that runs in ephemeral workloads like a container, one of our big use cases for container monitoring is actually supply chain, right? And, and keeping an eye on what containers are connecting out and where they're going and what they're downloading, that kind of thing. And so if you supply chain it, you can just embed the workload itself. And you so mean the build like never you could have software that takes the pennies that no one thinks about <laughs> yeah, right, that, yeah, right. that, like my red stapler <laughs> is that is that where you're going man <laughs> well so you know it's like the last last year in fact recently if i if i'm not mistaken not not too far in the past we had several node.js libraries that had you know a change of ownership in a github and they embedded some malicious stuff in there and so like the supply chain especially on the software stack with these dependencies where you're just saying in a Docker file, hey, import this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's going out to the web and it's grabbing it from these repositories. And so <laughs> and there's a lot of trust built into, just sort of blind trust in some cases, built into these software supply chains. And you can embed the mining activity in the app itself. And, by, and thereby, you're, you're sort of hiding your computational expense. You're just embedding it in the runtime. I like a remake of Office Space, but with no JS libraries. <laughs> I think that's spot on. Office spot Space on. or Superman Three? Oh, what? Oh, yeah, there was Superman that, that, Three. It, there has. So I don't remember Superman Three. I, April, I, it's been. But there have been a lot of movies where it. the bad guy is stealing, or pride person, right, is stealing pennies right. off of the transactions. It's called the salami attack. Yes, thank you. The salami attack. Nice. Yeah, because that happened in real life, did it not? 
at some point? Um, yeah, I think so. And, now, and now, based now of, everyone is Googling. Everyone is Googling. <laughs> so I, I, I love where this is going. I love that we're, we're effectively threat mapping. And, and Matt, I think you're, um, you pointing to reference models uh, is, is spot on because when, when you look at those reference models, um, they've already done some of this threat mapping and they've thought through some of it. And there's a certain... There's a reason why they tell you to not have a single AWS root account. You know, like like they'll if you're doing that, you'll you'll get messages telling you it's a bad idea. Uh, uh, you know, Adrian, just you, just for clarification, I'll just one one data point. Sure, it's called salami slicing. In January 1993, four executives of a rental car franchise in Florida were charged with defrauding at least 47,000 customers using a salami technique. Wow. What year was that? 1993. Wow. wow. Nice. But um, anyway, that's a rabbit hole. I, I just yeah, want to flesh I, I, it out I mean, a little. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's important to, to kind of to put on your evil hat and do some of this threat modeling. And, and uh, a lot of people, like if you haven't been through some of the um, Azure GCP AWS documentation, they've already done some of that work for you. You know, and they'll they'll tell you, yeah, it's a bad idea to set up your S3 bucket this way or your VPC Absolutely. this way. You know, yep. and the stuff we're talking about is is exactly why. Like it's it's uh, you know, the the idea is least privilege and to contain you know the the blast radius from different kinds of attacks and and uh, you know, kind of kind of spread that out so it can do the least amount of damage if it happens. Yeah, and the benefit too of like like a service control policy, for example, where at the sort of AWS organization level, it, it, you know, just to focus on AWS for a minute, you know, you can embed security controls at the organization, and so any new account in the in in sort of infrastructure downstream of that benefits. It drafts, it pulls all of those policies forward just automatically. It's embedded in code, and so you know, infrastructure as code is a thing well they've taken like sort of org, org structure and security controls as code as well and so this approach is just incredibly incredibly valuable in my opinion because even even if you do now with this idea in mind going back assuming you don't have a root account that's where your workloads live you know now you've really really compartmentalized the blast radius of some of these events because at the organizational level even if you compromise that organization's admin privileges, it's still subject to all sorts of identity and access management policies and a bunch of sort of other useful bits in the infrastructure that's just embedded in the policy itself at deploy time. When you hit go, it just drafts all of that, pulls it in. Yeah, I mean, if your recovery time objective is five minutes because you can just hit a button, run a script, and and rebuild it all, then then yeah, that totally changes uh, you know the risk model, you know, and and how you look at some of these attacks. And, and if if you're prepared to do that, yeah, it's fantastic. Like I've seen folks, uh, I, I remember going to a black hat workshop that uh, Rich, Rich Mogul uh, was doing uh, from Securosis. And he had all these. Uh, he had all this automation set up where he could automatically just hit a button and set an EC2 instance, or uh, you know, grab grab the disk image, uh, throw it into uh, another virtual image with forensics tools. Uh, already start the forensic analysis on that. Bring up a clean version of it. Like, like the entire response process was fully automated. And this this workshop was back in 2015, I think. Yeah. And that just blew my mind sitting, sitting in there, like watching him, uh, you know, run this live in, in, in that workshop. And, uh, you know, that, that was light bulb moment for me. And I, I, okay, this is why people are so excited about the cloud. I get it. It's devastatingly powerful. It really is. And, you know, we've got several folks that are out there in the customer base where they're, they're sort of just paving entire environments, just gone once a week or whatever, sometimes more. Oh yeah. And so how do you get it? It's like, if you're an attacker, you're now walking on ice, you know, how do you get a foot, like a really intractable foothold in the environment when it's going to get pulled right out from under you again on Friday or whatever. It's really, really interesting. And again, it's all cloud magic. It really, the cloud really, really solves a whole slew of problems when you move up there and you, and you embrace the cloud methodologies. And, and, like and the comp. Sorry, go ahead, April. I was just going to say, I like that approach. It's like cleaning out the office fridge on Friday. Like, just get rid of all the old stuff and just start over on Monday. I think that's fantastic. 
Yeah. And so, yeah. and, you know, and, and going back to the, the, uh, the SDLC, right. You know, like those are things now you can push way upstream in the, in the, in the dev pipeline. And, and, and so now you've got this sort of organizational level policy that lives in code up in AWS say, and then you've got your, your whole CI CD pipeline that supports. And so now you end up with this sort of compounding effect from a security control and response perspective, Adrian, to your point, like the response capabilities are just devastatingly powerful up there. They really are. Well, and, and, I, and I think, for all of the providers, by the way, not just AWS. And I, I think the big remaining challenge is having enough confidence in detections and alerts that you you will take that next step to automate the response. Yes. To fully automate it, not not like waiting for a human to wake up at 3 a.m., you know, go log into their computer, put in their 2FA, you know, log into the AWS console, put in the 2FA again, you know, and and then push some buttons somewhere. Like it's, um, if we're going to try and race ransomware crews that are operating at the speed of their own software, you know, if that's the game, then we've got to do some fully automated stuff on our side as well. Yep. That's right. And so in the, in the cloud, you know, era, they, a lot of people refer to pets versus cattle, right? Where a pet you cultivate sure. and you take care of cattle, you just shoot if they're sick, you know, and which is a sort of brutal metaphor, but it stands. No, I love the metaphor, by the way. And so, you know, in the, in the pets versus cattle, if you have a lot of cattle, then you can very confidently take automated actions that just whack a system. You know, and then you freeze that system, put it in a, a sort of null routed security group. And so you can do some analysis on it afterwards, even volatile memory and stuff. You can capture that stuff for EC2. Yep. And stuff, uh, but also the network, too. I think we're going to get more advanced in analyzing the network, not just from the Internet to and from my cloud instances and services, but in between them as well. Matt, I think we're, we're pretty good like internet to my cloud instances, I think it'll become more advanced. Like what is the traffic, all these services talking to each other? Cause that's a critical component to understand when an extortion style attack would happen. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Cause that, that, I mean, the transactions have to cross the network somewhere, right? Whether it's out to the internet or between services, that's the common denominator is it has to cross those those boundaries right and i think our visibility between services is somewhat limited today in my experience i think it'll it'll get better and and provide us that that visibility yeah and so, I mean, so this is sorry go ahead adrian I was going to say, when they when aws introduces 40 new services every year it's hard to keep up yeah that's right. And this is where network telemetry really, really matters. And mm -hmm. I'm clearly biased on this front. But I was setting you up for that, Matt. Yeah. Was, I mean, yeah. it's the connective tissue of the environment. And so how do you understand the system as a whole? Well, one good way is logging. Another good way is some sort of runtime, you know, endpoint instrumentation. And then to full to fill out the trifecta, it's wire. It's it's always been wire and it's still true today. It doesn't matter if you're container or cloud-based or whatever you're exactly right so um it's part of the it's part of the stack for yeah sure. it's part of the dna and how things operate no matter how advanced we get in the cloud i was explaining the intern the other day what the default gateway is those principles still apply like when you leave the at some point you're gonna have There's to leave the subnet totally. and totally. go to your default gateway like i don't see that really changing uh in, in the next 20 30 50 plus years right Hundred percent right. Hundred percent right. My I, one of uh, my uh, my colleague is named John Smith. He's one of the smartest people I know, and he's just a, a master of these sort of pithy little expressions. And he said, "You know, I forget he wrote it somewhere, but he's prolific." He he said, "You know, I don't know what the next attack is going to be, but I know it's going to involve two hosts and a network." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I love it. And uh, I. I so AWS, I, I know a while back they made it possible to get um, uh, flow logs uh, w without having to run an actual host, you know, from from the management plane. I don't know if they've moved up to full packet capture, but may maybe you don't need that, you know. And I, I think that was a big help, you know, because before that, you know, you would have to, 
make the security appliance the the gateway or something like that. You, you'd have to ha- actually have an instance running in there to capture that traffic, right? That's right. Yeah. So now, so VPC flow logs are still are still around. Um, obviously, they they lack layer seven data and transactional information, although very very useful data source. We would we agree with that, and that's where we you know we um, they don't have native packet capture they have native packet mirroring and so now in aws at least for um the majority of the their workloads you know if it's an interface that lives in a subnet and is attached to a workload you can mirror that traffic and that's where the ndr category comes into play for the cloud we we're the beneficiaries of that technology and and others um, and we're able to take those mirrored packets in and, and run deep layer seven analysis and behavioral you know, analysis for ML and other fancy things. We can emit events if we detect stuff, emit events up into the management plane to take automated actions and, and a lot more. It's really interesting. And it's probably ideal. I mean, it's it's much better, you know, being uh, in, in an instance, you know, you still have to run an instance, uh, but with uh, mirroring it, at least you're not, you know, in the critical path, right? Like you don't have to worry exactly. about being... Being a, a a latency drain or a point of failure or anything like that, so that 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 works fine, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, we're you know even though you're out of band, you can still act stateful and do real deep sort of stateful reassembly of these byte streams and get all of the layer seven information out of them, and then impose machine learning on top of the patterns. You know, when you think about behavioral patterns, especially. Um, in an app delivery and service delivery context, well, the behaviors land largely at layer seven, not exclusively for sure, but a lot, a lot of really juicy behaviors live at layer seven. And so uh, deep level network analysis really, really matters, it, it, enterprise and cloud alike. Matt, I just, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show this evening. I always enjoy our conversations. I thought this one was really I'm glad we had uh, extra time to um, kind of flesh out some of these ideas that we had. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm frightened. Me I, I mean, it. I'm hopeful, but I'm also really frightened as well. <laughs> I know. I, I, you, 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 when you're in security, you never want to fear monger, but sometimes it, it'll get you, it'll get you down. It's just, yeah. uh, but I don't know. I think it's we're, important, we're but I think it's important time. to explore those uh, those kind of ideas uh, so that people can learn and, and incorporate those into their own kind of threat modeling. So. I thought we did a good job of that. So thank you, everyone. Matt, thank you very much yeah, for appearing you. on Enterprise Security Weekly this evening. For folks who want to learn more, you can visit securityweekly.com forward slash extra hop. Coming up next, David Finger from Fortinet. Stick around.